Welcome to Northern Goal, the football podcast from Evening Express and Press and Journal. I'm Ryan Crail. Today, I'm joined by Andy Skinner, Sean Wallace, and Callum Law. How are we, folks? Ah, you all good. Thanks, good thank you, Ryan. Yeah, good. It feels like this is a. I think about what the third podcast we've done in the last two weeks. So it feels like doing this quite often. Might even end up doing another one this week. But finally, we are actually at the point where Aberdeen and Ross County's returns to action are on the horizon. The Dons take on Hibs tomorrow night while Ross County play Hamilton. Both huge games at um, both ends of the table. We've also got some more playoff chat. Um, following Brora's game at the weekend, as well as Cove and Elgin City's ties. And there's some Peterhead contract business to discuss as well. But before all that, the Dons. So before we move on to the Hibs game, which is huge in terms of the race for third in the Premiership, Stephen Glass has started making moves in the transfer market to get his squad rebuilt underway for next season. Guys, first of all, will, will the fans be happy with the pre-contract edition of Declan Gallagher, the Motherwell captain, and getting the current reserve goalie, Gary Woods, on loan at the moment, tied to a permanent deal? Yeah, I would say definitely. Both strong signings. I mean, uh, you're getting a Scotland international and Declan Gallagher and the Motherwell captain. Zaberdeen got two premiership captains on pre-contracts already. And Gary Woods, I mean, the couple of times I've seen him start for Aberdeen, he's looked rock solid. A strong uh, number two to Joe Lewis, although who knows, maybe there's going to be that fight for the number one spot for next season. But Gallagher, a, a great signing. I mean, he's dominant in the box. He could play in a three or a four. I mean, he's played in a three and four in the last two games for Motherwell, both wins, both clean sheets. Uh, I mean, anyone who's got any doubts about his ability just needs to look at his colossal performance in the, the playoff final against Serbia when he kept the, the shackles on Mitrovic. I think it's a great signing. I think with Declan Gallagher, to me anyway, in terms of the right-sided, right-sided defenders, Aberdeen, maybe even all the defenders, but certainly the right-sided defenders, I think he's definitely better than what's there already, in my opinion. Um, and Sean was sort of speaking about leadership and experience, not Willie Miller was uh, talking about it in his column as well today in the Evening Express, and he was sort of saying if you look at the spine of the team that Aberdeen are creating, where you've got Joe Lewis and or... Gary Woods, who are both capable goalkeepers. You've then got Declan Gallagher and Andy Considine, two international defenders who were both centre-backs who will both be at the club next season. Scott Brown, Lewis Ferguson and Ross McCrory in midfield, potentially. That's quite a strong core, really, through the middle of the side. There's obviously bits and pieces need to be fitted in around that, namely a a striker who'll score goals on a regular basis but when you look at it from that point of view it is quite a, a decent spine that uh, Stephen Glass is putting together for next season I think That's a thing they've got the spine but they just need a head now I mean, they need to get a striker in that'll deliver 15 to 20 goals a season and those aren't easy to come by I mean like, <clears throat> people might point to, to Sam Cosgrove delivering that for two seasons but they took a gamble with him 
and we're willing to develop him. And Aberdeen can't do that to get a striker that'll deliver 15 to 20 goals. They need someone to come in and do that immediately next season. So it's going to be a very interesting summer just to see who can come in, who they can attract to the club. And they need probably, well, they need two strikers that could potentially deliver that goal return if they're going to have any modicum of success. I think you look at the, the early recruitment that's been done by Stephen Glass and, you know, certainly, you know, Gary, Gary Woods being a, a, you know, quite good continuity to, to sort of keep him tied down, given that he's had a, a season where he's not played much. But, you know, in these last few weeks, he's, you know, shown that he's capable of stepping up when, when Aberdeen need him. But, you know, in looking at Declan Gallagher and Scott Brown, I think, you know, that, that almost sets the tone for this rebuild, which is going to be on its way um you know it's clearly going to be a, a new look Aberdeen next season and you know particularly for a you know a management team that's coming into this quite fresh you know they've they've never worked together as a management team before um I think it's quite big for Stephen Glass in particular to to show that you know he can recruit players of of the caliber of Declan Gallagher and, and Scott Brown um you know one current and one former Scotland international um I think at this early stage that you know, sends out a, a really good signal for for what's to come, and you know that that in itself might prove attractive further down the line as they're they're trying to make you know more additions to the the squad over the summer. I think in the immediate aftermath of Aberdeen being rolled over by Dundee United in the Scottish Cup quarter final, Glass said that it was his intention to make Aberdeen tougher for next season, and with adding Gallagher on the back of Scott Brown, he's uh, certainly beginning to do that. I don't think there'll be any pushovers next season. While Declan Gallagher and Gary Woods are clearly, I know I asked whether the fans would be happy, but they're, they're clearly signings, I think, anyway, that the, the supporters would be pretty pretty pleased with. Um, Gary Woods, based on his performances so far this season since he's come to the team, and Declan Gallagher, Scotland International, you know, you want loads of those. Um, meanwhile, they appear pretty split on the prospect of, first of all, a short-term renewal for Mikey Devlin, another centre-back who has had a torrid time with injury since being at the Dons. He arrived injured and hasn't really been able to string together too long a run in the team since, but I think Glass is going to give him time to sort of prove himself. He, of course, is a Scotland international. Don't want to give those away too readily. Um, there's also a return for Clark Robertson, um, a left-sided centre-back. In the works, what, what what's your guys' takes on both both those moves? <clears throat> First way with the uh, Devlin, if they do give him an extension, a short term extension as expected, I think it says a lot about both Glass and the club. That's too often with clubs, there's a tendency just to sort of offload players that are seen as no longer of any use because they've had injury problems. I mean, there's no doubt Mikey Devlin, when fully fit is a quality defender. Prior to, I think it was uh, November 2018, when he, <clears throat> he picked up an injury whilst on international duty with Scotland, he was like one of the best defenders in the Premiership. He was my player of the season so far. But then I ruled him out for about three months and it's just, he's just had a torrid time since then with injuries. He's been very unfortunate and I think it's a great move from the club to give him that extra six months breathing space to show that he is capable of getting long-term fitness. And as I said, it says a lot about the club that they are willing to show that faith in a player. 
and for potential signings as well, they can look at that and say, well, Aberdeen are a club that looks after their players. And that can mean a lot and could potentially push it into the realms of a player accepting a deal because they know they'll be looked after if anything goes wrong. And and you just need to look at the situation with Tommy Hoban as well. He picked up his injury whilst on loan uh, at Aberdeen from Watford. And although Watford subsequently released him in the summer while he was still doing his rehab, Aberdeen had already told the defender that they were willing to help him come come through that rehab and offered up their facilities for him to continue his training. They didn't have to do that, but the club and former manager, Derek McInnes, felt they had a duty of care because he suffered that injury at Aberdeen. And then he eventually did come back, completed his rehab, earned a deal, and he's been a, a solid performer this season. So it just shows that is the right route to go down because... It's of no fault of Mikey Devlin's that he's suffered these injury problems. And it shows that the, heart, the club have got heart and soul that they're willing to do this for them and give them that opportunity. Before we move on to Clark Robertson, does the fact that Devlin and Robertson could potentially be there next season reflect that Tommy Hoban and also Ash Taylor potentially won't be? I would say... Hoban, potentially. I think he, he may go back down to England. Although I would be happy if he did sign a new deal. But if you're taking in such a powerful right-sided centre-back in uh, Gallica, it does indicate that perhaps Hoban may be on his way. Okay, somebody else I want to touch on. Um, perhaps Callum Andy, you could come in on this one. Um, Jamie McGrath from, is it Grath? Grath? Who knows? Well, no once he comes to Aberdeen, maybe. Um, the St. Marin uh, midfielder, is he, is he somebody that we'd add to the Dons? He's certainly been impre- impressive in games against the Dons this season. He's been very impressive, yeah. Um, right throughout the whole season uh, as a young player that um, you know Jim Goodwin's taken on board from, from Ireland. He's, um, he's you know really grasped the, the challenge of playing in the Premiership and become you know one of St. Marin's sort of leading attacking midfield threats which um, you know it's the sort of market that Aberdeen have you know been successful in in the past um, sort of trying to take on players that are at you know clubs in the bottom half of the league uh, thriving for them and you know just trying to offer them that next step in their career which you know can potentially um, you know attract interest from from down south in the, the long term we, we saw it you know, if you can relate to St Mirren with Kenny McLean all the, the years ago, uh, another player that was, you know, under contract at St Mirren, similar to, to Jamie McGrath. Um, but Aberdeen chose to, to kind of pay the fee at that time, which, you know, more than paid off with uh, with them getting the return for their investment and also three and a half years of, you know, fantastic service from Kenny McLean. Um, obviously, Graham Shinney was a, another one that came in from Inverness kind of just fits that profile of a hungry young up-and-coming player that you know you, you really get the, the feeling has his best years ahead of him um, and I think Jamie McGrath would would fit that category and also provide a, a wee kind of insight into the, the sort of team that Stephen Glass wants to assemble as well with just that, that sort of dynamism coming from the, the midfield he would add a, a real goal threat so uh, I think you know that would be a a really exciting move if, if 
they're able to pull that one off. I think the biggest issue they might have when they pursue a Jamie McGrath is that given the way he's performed for St Mirren this season, there'll be plenty of teams looking to try and sign him this summer because he's been a, a revelation in Paisley. You touched on Clark Robertson earlier, Ryan, and maybe wasn't really discussed, but I was just going to mention that because I think it's maybe not in terms of perception for people looking at it, oh, we're can say no, we're bringing Clark Robertson back in. People maybe don't go can wow the same way as they would with Scott Brown or Declan Gallagher, but I think he could, if he did come back to the Dons, he could prove to be a decent signing. I mean, when he was here the first time, came through the ranks and actually made quite a, a lot of first-team appearances, but it was, I suppose, largely injury in the form of Andy Constein, who was sort of playing left back at that time, which led to him leaving. But since then, one or two sort of injury issues aside, he's played regularly and consistently at a good level in League One and in the Championship in England at Blackpool and now Rotherham. So if he came back, the player he is as well, where he can cover centre back and left back, I think he could pretend potentially be a, a decent addition but we'll wait wait and see I think Robertson would be a a decent addition he's went down to England and had a solid career down there, he's racked up more than 40 performances in the championship, more than 200 uh, down south so he's, he's a far more experienced defender than when he left Aberdeen and he's also so I moved inside, you know that left-sided centre back, and I think, I mean, he's a powerful player, six foot two. So I don't think it's a backward move if Aberdeen were to go for Clark Robertson. I think um, from memory, Clark Robertson was a, a guy that really quite fancied the, you know, the prospect of moving to England at the time, and just with the the way things worked out, as you mentioned, Callum, you know, Andy Constantine had been really consistent in in that left back role. Um, he, he just found that opportunities were not really coming his way as as often as he would have liked at Aberdeen. Um, but he got a, a good grounding in, in his early years, got the chance to to play regularly under well Mark McGee to begin with. Craig Brown played him, you know, very regularly, and uh, as I say, he got a a bit of game time under Derek McInnes as well. But you know, I, th- I think he'll if he does come back, he'll feel quite fulfilled in terms of you know how the the move down south has gone for him. Uh, initially with Blackpool and, and now with Rotherham um, and I think he'll have developed massively just from that experience you know as an Aberdeen boy of moving down south and playing in the, the English lower leagues experiencing you know different types of challenges different players different grounds etc um, you know he's at a good age still in his late 20s where you know he will bring experience now and um, you know, I, th- I think he's got the potential to be a, a very shrewd acquisition. Okay, we're in real danger of this becoming a very long episode of Northern Goal. So before we move on, what I will say is no movement yet on the fullback positions. Maybe it's because Calvin Ramsey and Jack McKenzie are going to play there next season. Who knows? Rhys Anderson has also confirmed he's on loan at Hamilton at the moment, but there have been talks with Stephen Glass about him potentially signing a renewal for next season. He'd fill one of the striker berths, of course. Um, right, the Hibs game tomorrow night. If Hibs are the attacking force they've been, well, certainly the last time they played Aberdeen, plenty of intent, plenty of directness, and Aberdeen are 
the new Stephen Glass direct attacking team. We should be in for a right to ding dong battle tomorrow evening. Yeah, I hope so. Unless they cancel one another out. In terms of, in terms <laughs> of the game itself, how how do you see it going based on both teams' form going into it? Obviously, Hibs have had the boost to reaching the Scottish Cup final, but Aberdeen have had a bit of a rest and maybe bar one bad performance in the Scottish Cup appear to be kind of building a bit of momentum under glass. That'd be safe to say. I think. I think uh, aside from how it might go, the the point ultimately for me is if you want if they want to finish third, they've got to win. Obviously, Hibs have a better goal difference. If the Dons win, they level on points, and then it's all to play. They're playing Rangers and Celtic respectively in the last day, so it's all all to play for. I think it would be um, interesting if if Aberdeen could win and at least take it to the last day. It would be a positive sort of finish to what's been a a frustrating season, but it's, it's interesting the perception because if you hear a lot of pundits talking about Hibs, and I know they've done well in the cups, but even just talking about their league season, oh, they've it's oh they've had a great season, and Jack Ross, a superb manager, and this and that, and the uh, and then and you hear the same people slate in Aberdeen, which in some cases, some of the time it's been justified, but Aberdeen have been apparently had a, a terrible season. I mean, it hasn't been a good season, but it's not been a terrible season. And it would be quite ironic, really, if the Dons could uh, pip them for third, given can the supposed difference in the way the sides have performed this season. But I suppose perception maybe comes into it as well, because certainly in recent times, Hibs have probably been used to accepting a lot more dross than, than Aberdeen have, really. <laughs> I totally concur, Callum, and the reason I concur is because I read Tom McManus's column this morning in one of the Nationals, I can't even remember which one it is, record, record. maybe, son, um, he was saying if, if there was a football handicap system, like there is in golf, that Hibs would be considered Scottish champions this season for their achievements, and when you when you then look at the fact that going at these last two games, they could potentially not even finish third, they could end up with no silverware at all. Um, it's pretty. It's I, I don't know. I think it's it's very strange the way the two clubs are being treated totally differently in terms of their the outcomes of their campaigns. I, I just wonder how this battle for third would be. Uh, how the Aberdeen supporters would react to this if they were allowed into the stadiums? Would they get behind it? Because I mean, ultimately, what is at stake apart from? maybe a little bit of kudos and an extra, I think it's £250,000 SPFL prize money. But ultimately, does anyone really care that much who finishes third or who finishes fourth? You're still way off the pace of the other top two teams. I think a lot of Labrador fans, um, I mean, maybe they don't think the senior, um, more experienced players are good enough or whatever, but I think you can tell how much the Aberdeen fans really care about third based on the fact that before every game, the, all, all they want is to see more and more young players being, you know, blooded into the team and stuff, and given their chance. Uh, maybe they think that's the way to get these results, but I think, yeah, they've certainly got an eye on next season. I'm sure the management do as well. You can see that from the choices they're making. Um, shall we move on? Then I think what I would say before we do is that what I noticed last time Aberdeen played Hibs was that a key part of this is going to be finding a way to deal with Martin Boyle. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you, you keep his shackles on Boyle and you're halfway to maybe keeping them quiet. Right, let's move on then. Next up, we'll discuss Ross County, who can 
potentially secure their premiership safety tomorrow night. Andy, neither manager in the dugout for this one, am I correct? I know Yogi isn't going to be in because he's been banned for comments about referees. Um, has Brian Rice been banned yet for his comments about referees? Yeah, he his ban uh, kicked in just before John Hughes. Um, so, yeah, no, John Hughes will miss the final two games of the, the season and, and Brian Rice, I think this might be the, the second game that he misses. Um, you know, they both got the same length of ban. It was four games in total with two suspended. So neither will be in the, the dugout. But uh, it mirrors a situation with Jim Goodwin a couple of weeks ago when uh, County played St Mirren up in Dingwall and Jim Goodwin was in the, the opposite uh, stand from where the, the dugouts are at Victoria Park and still managed to get his message across. I think the, the lack of fans certainly helps the, the managers that find themselves in, in this situation. I don't think there's going to be any danger that they won't be able to hear Yogi from wherever he's sitting at the Global <laughs> Energy Stadium. Um, given. Are you expecting the Ross County's safety to be secure after... Tomorrow night, I know a lot of that hinges on how Kilmarnock get on against St Mirren. They're obviously the team currently in 11th place, but do you think Hamilton will be put to bed first of all? And then maybe do you have, what's your sense about how Kilmarnock will get on? I mean, I I think Ross County, fundamentally themselves, they, they need to rise to the the heat of this this battle that's going to be coming their way. Um, You know, they, they, they really need the, the points themselves. It, it, if they win, then they know that they can't finish bottom, and you know that at this stage of the season is a a, a massive incentive. Hamilton, obviously, in a you know less advantageous position where they um, are are playing catch up, but you know you just have to hope that that will help County. Um, you know they've they've had only four home wins in the league this season, um, but the last time they kind of found themselves in this dog-eat-dog position at home. It was against Kilmarnock and, you know, they managed to recover from the setback of losing an early goal um, to come, and back, come back and win that game 3-2. Um, and they, they really need something similar this time around. The games against Hamilton this season have all uh, fallen in the favour of the, the visiting team. The last time County played Aki's, the only time since John Hughes took charge, um, again, County came from behind down at New Douglas Park and, and won that game 2-1. So they might have to do something similar. You know, it, it may well not be pretty, but um, you, you know, if County can get the, the points that they need, then that can allow them to to then tune in to, to whatever's happening um, between Kilmarnock and St Mirren. Um, that game might be finished, actually, by the time County kick off, but... Uh, yeah, I mean that—that's something that that could potentially, you know, have them safe by the by the time Sunday's game against Motherwell comes around. And you know what a boost that would be if uh, you know if St Mirren do get that result, which matches a county victory. You know, it would it would just be you know such a a, a great feeling for County at at the end of such a difficult season to to be able to go into that last game at Motherwell, knowing that the the job has been done. And I think that ultimately has to be their their big incentive. You know, you can you can try and earn that uh, you know pressure off environment on on the final game of the season and and not have to to worry about uh, you know your your own need for points or you know what could happen elsewhere because you know Kilmarnock play Hamilton on the the last day as well and 
you know, there's all sorts of different permutations which could be thrown up from that result if uh, if County are still within striking distance of both teams. So, um, you know, hopefully County can can get the the job done themselves tomorrow. I think the the big question about Ross County for me, and I've seen John Hughes talking about it as well, is can they go and follow up one good result with another? Because obviously before the sort of wee break that they've had, they were very good, beat Dundee United 2-0 at Tannadice. But their problem all season has been consistency and not being able to put a run of results together. I mean, I looked it up and the, the only time that they've won two league games back-to-back this season was the first two games of the season, which, can I say, can I say is it all really? I mean, we've seen them beat, you know, Aberdeen, Hibs, Celtic, since John Hughes has been in charge, but then the following week they've come on unstuck against somebody else, and that's why they're still very much in the the dogfight down there. So I think that's the, the big thing for Ross County. The other thing, as I've said, numerous times this season about Ross County and I'll say it again with these last two games they can keep two clean sheets they stay up for me because they've shown in every game they've played this season they've shown that they can cause teams problems and that they're a threat going forward but it's been the other end of the park where they've had problems so if you get, if you could guarantee a clean sheet tomorrow night against Ar- or ah, it is tomorrow night against Arkies and then against Motherwell on Sunday, then I think they'll be fine. Of course, there is a scenario where Yogi and Chipper agree some kind of draw tomorrow night and then, you know, they conspire to relegate Kilmarnock, but I'm sure that won't happen. That's just conspiracy theory nonsense. Um, what I would say to County as well is that Andy is desperate for you not to be in the playoffs because presumably Andy will then have to work those games and <laughs> the season could be over, you know, could be over this week. Um, the interesting I think, point... Um, I was going to bring in there, Ryan, you're just mentioning playoffs. Right now, with how tight it is, if you offered the three managers, Brian Rice, John Hughes and Tommy Wright, if you offered them the right now, if you said to them, you'll finish in the playoff spot, do you think they'd be happy with that? Uh, I don't think County would be because they are in the position now where it's in their own hands with two games to go and they're sitting above that uh, you know, relegation zone. And I, I think John Hughes will have the the real desire to to just take matters into their own hands and and steer clear of it completely. I think it would be a different scenario with, uh, well, possibly Tommy Wright and and definitely Brian Rice. Um, you know, because they're they're having to play catch up just now. That that just only serves to underline how big a win it was for for County down at Tanadice um, in their previous outing. Because you know, with Hamilton winning that same weekend. Um, you know, it meant that County were still able to to keep their keep their heads above the the relegation zone, and it, it kind of just shows as well that County are up for this fight. Their form going into that game hadn't been good, um, and as much as they haven't had any sort of consistency this season, they they have still been you know reasonably good at churning out the results when they've really really needed them. Um, it's something John Hughes has mentioned is that they would be a lot further adrift and and a lot of bother. If, uh, if if they hadn't pulled off some of these results against the likes of Kilmarnock, uh, Celtic, Aberdeen, Hibs, um, you know there has been enough evidence there to suggest that County can pull off the the results they need when the the chips are are very much down. But um, you know back to back victories for the first time since the opening 
uh, games of the season wouldn't you know come around much sweeter than than tomorrow night because uh, you know it would go a long way towards clinching their their survival. Right, seems a, a good note to move on. Um, right, next up we'll have to discuss what's been happening in the playoffs over the weekend, starting with a rather painful day for Borough Rangers. Andy, you said you said to us if they got the first goal down in Kelty that like it was game on, but uh, they did get the first goal to make it two one on aggregate um, after a two 0 loss in the home leg, and then the tie ended six one. What, what <laughs> happened? Um, well, I think you can begin to explain uh, what happened just by their response to to going ahead. Um, I mean, it was. A well-deserved lead that they took through Greg Morrison in early in the game. Brora had looked well up for the challenge of clawing themselves back into the tie, and they took their chance when it came. You know there hadn't been too much in terms of clear-cut opportunities for them in the opening stages, but they just managed to um, carve out a, an opening and took full advantage of it. But as is often said, you're at your most vulnerable just after you've scored, and that's how it proved. They they failed to deal with a, a pretty routine punt up the park and you know within 60 seconds that goal from Nathan Austin just settled Kelty right down again um, restored the two goal cushion and it you know gave Brora the the same task as uh, as, as they'd set out from the start uh, you know having to to sort of close that two goal deficit um, I still going in at half time had a feeling that Brora would you know rally at the start of the second half I didn't quite think it was tie over but as soon as Nathan Austin got his quick-fire double um, just um, at the, the beginning of the second half to complete his hat-trick, um, you know, it was clear that Brora just wanted the full-time whistle to blow. Um, and it, it proved to be with the addition of a late Dylan e- uh, Easton uh, goal late on in the game, uh, just a, a horrible afternoon for them. And, you know, it ended their promotion charge with uh, with a bit of a whimper. I was just going to say, and I know you're going to come on, Steve Mackay's sort of being quite critical of his side, which is understandable, to be fair, but I was just going to say, I think as disappointing as, as it is for Brora, when you reflect on it, there may be, I'm not sure if unlucky or unfortunate is the right words, but if you look at the opposition they were playing, I mean, Nathan Austin obviously scored a hat-trick on Saturday and has had a big influence in the outcome of the tie. Nathan Austin is a championship, if not a premiership player, actually playing for Kelty Hearts. And as good a side as Brora are, and they've got players who I think have shown they could play at a higher level, I don't think there's anybody, you know what I mean, quite of that level. Like Kelty's key man is Nathan Austin, and he's, a, as we've seen in the past, a very capable player at a, a much higher level than the Lowland League. So when you're coming up against that. Sometimes I think you just got to say, "Well, can just just the way it is, and just sort of can tip your hat to him, and can we'll say we'll go again." And I think, can if you're looking at it right now, next season, Brora start very much as favourites to to win the Highland League again. I think, Callum, you're right there when you when you look at Kelty across the board, their squad and well, their, their coaching staff as well. There's clearly, yeah. They went into it as the stronger team would be probably how I would put it. 
the um, what I was going to say, Andy was Steve McKay afterwards. He's obviously got it. He obviously talked about learning about his team, things like that. What was the sense you you got from him after the game? Was it that he's going to go away in the summer and try and sign a whole new load of players? Is he going to go with the, the same players and think he, he's just going to find a way to get more out of them? What 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 do you think he's thinking now? I mean, from speaking to him after the game, you know the. Um, the extent of this defeat was still very raw on him, and you know he was criticising the way that they'd they'd lost the game. You know, not not just to to go down in the tie, but to you know to be gubbed, uh, to put it bluntly. Um, you know that that really hurt him, and and I think over these coming weeks, you know he's he's going to have to just assess the you know the hunger of the the squad there maybe, and and just how how kind of determined they are to. To go for it again, I think maybe by by seeing Kelty up close in these two matches um, might have you know given them a, a wee pointer as to to what they're going to need to do and the level that they're going to have to get to um, in order to to try and meet that goal of becoming an SPFL club. I mean, we have seen in the past that teams have had to negotiate a bit of a, a setback before uh, you know getting themselves into into the league. Um, you know, on this podcast, we, I'm sure Cove. we all remember Cove down at Cowdenbeath that that fateful day. I mean, the the response to that though was of a you know a, a really determined and, and driven team that that made sure that that uh, that game was the catalyst for them to to you know go up next season. There was never really any doubt that that was going to happen because it you know it brought about such a, a drive in the whole club. Um, and you know, Brora. Uh, you know, can hopefully have that that same sort of effect this coming season. Um, you also remember Edinburgh City, who were actually knocked out by by Brora, but the year before they went up um, as well. Uh, you know, went through uh, you know disappointment in the the playoffs too. So it's um, it's going to be interesting to to see how it uh, how it plays out. But the I suppose the longer term, the the fear is that maybe the the Lowland League is you know becoming pretty strong and it might become more difficult for you know the, the Highland League champions to to make it up I mean the you just have to look at the number of players that have you know moved from the Lowland League after the the season was suspended in January um, there was never really any prospect of that restarting but you know as soon as the um, uh, the SPFL restarted in March you know there was a, a big um, shift of players from Lowland League clubs to, you know, the SPFL, be it League One, even Championship, um, and I think that just highlights the strength that, uh, that that that's there within the Lowland League just now. Kelty, you know, are one of the the teams that have been really serious about going up, but you've also got the likes of East Kilbride and uh, East Stirlingshire who are keen to to step back up again, um, but. I mean, if Brora can, you know, go again next season and and you know win the Highland League once again, I'm sure they'll they'll build up the momentum they need to to sort of use this experience to their advantage in the the long run. And that's certainly the the effect that Stephen Mackay wants the dust settles on the result. We'll be hoping for. There certainly aren't any teams in the Highland League with a sixty thousand seater stadium. <laughs> I was ju- just quickly going to um, add as well. Nobody for Brora's. Uh really made any excuses for it but I did always think before the tie it was a wee bit of a a lottery to an extent in terms of you know both 
both sides had played so little football since January. See, so can it was really about maybe can who coming into it pretty cold, really who sort of settled best and got the better start and can even took a lead for the first leg and that was obviously Kelty and they went on to building it but I think it was can a di- a different playoff to to most years to an extent as well because of that. We mentioned Cove, they in their championship semi-final first leg drew 1-1 with Airdrionians at the Balmoral Stadium. Elgin, meanwhile, in the division below, they lost 1-0 at home to Edinburgh City. Now, both play their second legs with a view to getting to the final this evening. One, two, how many of, how many of our teams are going are gonna to be in those finals? Two. Let's go for two. One. <laughs> Cove. Ex- expand, Sean. I, I just think Elgin have they've got too much to do. I I, I just think Edinburgh is going to edge it. Unfortunately, I'd like to uh, see it. <clears throat> the precedent isn't good from this season. Um, the previous meetings of Edinburgh City, there's not been much to suggest that Elgin um, they played well in plenty of other games, but against Edinburgh City, they don't appear to have the formula. Would that be fair to say, Andy? Yeah, no, I think it's something that Gavin Price mentioned before the game was the fact that they didn't have a good record against Edinburgh City and, you know, that that stretches back a good few seasons now. I think it's 2018 since Elgin last got the better of Edinburgh. Um, But, you know, he was making pretty upbeat noises after the game because it is still just 1-0. I mean, it was a really untidy goal that settled the first leg. Um, That was a Daryl McCarty clearance that was charged down and you know it broke kindly for Josh Campbell to to finish it coolly past Thomas McHale. I mean there were chances for both sides in the second half. So on on one hand you could say you know it's uh, a positive to be going into the the second leg with just one goal in the the tie at this stage. Um, it's not the same challenge as Brora faced when you know they had to go into their second leg against Kelty. So um, you know there, there is going to have to be a a big response from Elgin. Um, but as, as you say, the form book doesn't read too too kindly in terms of the head-to-head record. Um, Elgin had been on excellent form going into the the playoffs, and uh, I mean they've they've shown that they're capable. They'll they'll draw a lot of inspiration from the results that they you know they've had on the road this season. Particularly, you know, two four one away wins against Stranraer have shown that they can they can you know travel well. Um, they beat Queens Park. The, the best team in the division just prior to the playoffs. So, you know, it's it's far from game over, but, uh, you know, it might just prove a, a hurdle too much for them to, to overturn the uh, the deficit. It, it's all just going to be about the, the start that they make down at uh, Ainsley Park. As you hope, I'm proven wrong. But So it's just, a, it's just a form book. I mean, it's 10 games since Elgin have beaten uh, Edinburgh. But I hope I'm proven wrong and they do set up a final clash. Given what you've both said about the form book, to be, uh, to clutch its straws slightly and be upbeat, uh, given that run, I think it would be fair to say that Elgin are certainly due a result against Edinburgh City. But uh, aside from that, just uh, blind optimism, I think obviously the first goal will be critical because if Edinburgh were to get it, then it's obviously a long way back. But when you're Elgin and you've got a player like Kane Hester, who's the top scorer in League Two this season, and B 
been excellent for them all campaign, you've always got a chance because he's shown if if he gets opportunities, one or two opportunities, he'll take them. So they're not not out of it by any means yet, I don't think. In terms of Cove, obviously their their record against Erdionians, who are full time side, it must be said this season has been pretty has been pretty good. I mean, I think in the, in the league season it was a, a win each and two draws. Um, obviously, the last the loss that they had against Airdrie came the week before their first meeting in the in the playoffs. The one one draw at the Balmoral on Saturday. Uh, this this one for me is is too too tight to call. I feel I wouldn't I wouldn't want to predict. Unlike the Algon one, which I've kind of got a, a sense of who I think might take it. I, I think with Cove and Airdrie, it's just. Who turns up loads of energy on the day and is the better side, yeah? I think Cove will go into it thinking that they've got a, a great chance, to be honest. Um, I, I mean, the, having been a goal down in the, the first leg and to, you know, claw themselves back to, um, to you know, get away with a, a one one draw there, um, you know, that's that's something to, to kind of build on in the, the second leg, but it just suggests that it's going to be really tight. Um, you know, it's, it's a a tie that could potentially go all the all the way. Um as you say it's it's so difficult to call. But I think just from looking at the you know the, the way that the, the first leg of both uh championship playoff ties went, you know, it, it probably will underline to Cove that there there is nothing to, to fear. I mean I wouldn't rule Morton out from you know coming back against Montrose, but um you, you know they'll there will be a confidence within Paul Hartley's side that you know they are as good as as anyone uh, within you know those those four teams just now, and I th- I think you know they they just have to go there with a you know a very upbeat um, kind of mentality and and look to try and make this final stride into the the championship, which uh, you know would be a remarkable achievement if they were to pull it off, and you know it would be a third successive promotion if they were able to do it. So. Um, you know, I I don't think, as I say, they've got anything to to be too fearful of in in, in the other sides that they could meet uh, if they can get through this one. But you know that that is enough of a challenge in itself uh, down at Airdrie Onions, who have been on excellent form in, in finishing this season. So um, you know it will it will just be very much all all focused on getting through that hurdle first. First thing I would say is that uh, regardless of the outcome tonight, it's been another very good season for Cove uh, we with you know they've been up there all season they've you know compete they've competed with everyone they're in the playoffs against first season in league one it's been an an excellent season for Cove regardless but I think the way I mean I was looking at the the games already this season that's four games have played a 2-0 win a piece and two 1-1 draws so Really, as you sort of said, Ryan, toss of a coin stuff. It would be no surprise if it actually went all the way to extra time and penalties. And I think, I think to be fair, uh, I'm not sure about Airdrie's penalty takers, but knowing that Cove have Mitch Meganson, Rory McAllister, and uh, Leighton McIntosh in their ranks, all very capable from the spot. Uh, if it did go to sp- penalties, uh, if I was, uh, if you were in Cove's camp, I'd be pretty confident in terms of though those guys scoring but I mean it's I think it'll I mean it's gonna sound obvious and maybe bordering on stupid to say but uh, whoever takes our chances really will uh, 
make it through because I've been watched Saturday's game back. Cove maybe had slightly more chances, but both sides had a number of decent opportunities, but sort of a combination of good defending, good goalkeeping, and maybe poor finishing in some cases meant that they didn't take them. And it was like even Airdrie's goals, a sort of deflected cross, a bit unlucky. And I mean, Cove's one, it was good play, but it's maybe slightly fortunate it broke to, to Leighton McIntosh to finish. So you wonder even, I mean, taking the chances, or even if it's going to be a bit of luck that, that could decide it, whether it's a bounce of the ball or a refereeing decision, we'll, we'll just have to see. Cove, I suppose, will either dominate again or they will rue the fact that they dominated much of the first leg and didn't take those chances. One thing I will note is that I'm gutted that when you were listing the penalty takers, Callum, you did not mention Stuart McKenzie, who is, of course, one of Cove, despite being the goalkeeper, one of Cove's best penalty takers. Right, finally, we've got four minutes left to get this wrapped up. So, Peterhead's contract business, we need to have a word about that. They obviously have finished their season, Peterhead, in League One. However, it's been announced that Simon Ferry, Andrew McDonald, Ryan Conroy and Gary Fraser all will be staying for the new campaign. Gary Fraser, he's out with an injury at the moment. It's similar to the, the Mikey Devlin situation, I suppose, not, not wanting to do a player dirty while they're out and leave them in limbo. Um, but Ben Armour is leaving Callum and Peterhead are hoping to get Hamish Ritchie on a permanent deal from Inverudi. He's been impressive since he's come in. So a lot to discuss. Which 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 one of those sign-ins or potential signs or people leaving stands out to you? Well, I'll just uh, rattle through it quickly. I mean, with the with the four players that have signed for next season and I'd imagine there'll be quite a few more in the, the days and weeks to come as well because Aside for Ben Armour, just about every, as far as I'm aware, just about everyone else in the squad has been made an offer as well. And Jim McAnally is keen to sort of keep the, the group he had together. But I think the four players that have already agreed to stay, I mean, there's no great surprise uh, with any of them. I mean, Simon Ferry is the longest serving player at the club now, also a coach, takes a fair bit of the training. I mean, a big influence sort of on and off the park and sort of the standards he sets and the way, kind of the way he plays and the way he conducts himself. Ryan Conroy fitted in, came, came back this season in great condition and fitted in at left-back. I mean, he could play midfield or left-back, but he's fitted in at left-back like he's been playing there all these days. And I mean, before he got injured last month against Patrick Thistle, he was, if you were picking a player of the season, potentially the guy you would have picked because he was really solid. Andy McDonald came in in, Mar- uh, in January, just uh, the day before the, the shutdown happened, actually. But he, I mean, he's had a suspension or two to serve here and there. But aside from that, he's uh, impressed, really. And he's been quite useful as well in that he's uh, been a left-sided centre-back. So when he's been playing with, be it Jason Brown or Kyle Bailey, he's sort of clicked with them quite well and been able to play in the left side of the the defence and Gary Fraser uh, dislocated his kneecap back in December and I mean that was Peter Head I mean uh, some clubs do some clubs don't but Peter Head have done it before with players that have gotten injured for them they look after them and that's what they've done with Gary Fraser another year and see if he can get himself back fit and back playing uh and I was Ben Armour leaving. I mean, it's a it's been a bit of oh, a funny one with Ben because on his day when he's been fully fit, he's shown himself to be very capable. 
and he scored some important goals to be fair, but it's been very stop start with with just niggles here and there and issues like that have sort of held him back. So I think the uh Peterhead sort of felt it might be better for both parties if they uh, went their separate ways and I mean I'm sure Ben will get plenty of offers from elsewhere and if he can sort of get himself totally right then he can he'll go and do a job for somebody else I'm I'm sure. All right. Did we get through Hamish Ritchie there? Oh, are you wanting a word on him? If they can keep Hamish if they can sign Hamish Ritchie on a permanent deal then it would be a great signing because in the game or in the games I've seen him anyway when he's been on loan from Inferuri, he has been excellent. Uh and I mean he scored goals, but just his his all round play has been brilliant. But obviously when it's just a loan signing and he's not your player and he's played as well as that, there are uh, various hurdles to overcome and there could be interest from elsewhere, you don't know. But certainly I know Peter Head are, are keen to keep him in their Trying, trying their best um come up with some some sort of deal that would uh, suit all parties, but uh, we'll see how that plays out. But if they can get him, he, I mean, he's shown in his loan spell that he'd be a, a very good signing. So they'll they'll be hoping they can make that happen. I imagine there'll be a balance to be struck between locals not wanting to hold back a player who could potentially play at a higher level, and you know, getting getting what's rightfully theirs for somebody who they have. They have signed and who is their player. Um, anyway, that concludes this week's episode of Northern Goal. We'll try and do another one later in the week um, to discuss all that's happened in the playoffs. Thanks to Andy, Sean and Callum for joining me today. Cheers, guys. No bother. Thanks very much, Ryan. Cheers. Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can like and subscribe in your favourite podcast app. You can email us with any questions or queries or whatever you want to say. Goal at dcmedia.co.uk Finally... Enjoy the games you're watching this week. Cheers. Hope you loved the episode. And if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.